Welcome to the Gospel in Lagos, the sermon podcast of City Church. City Church is a community of worshippers and mission. We exist to catalyze a gospel-centered movement that renews Lagos spiritually, socially, and culturally. You can find out more about us at www.citychurchlagos.com. City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos. Then the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, Tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He answered, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. This terrified them, and they asked, What have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord, because he had already told them so. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Tedu, and good morning, good morning to you. Uh, good morning, particularly if you are here for the first time. I'm so happy to have you. We are so happy to have you. My name is Femi, and would love, if you are new for the first time, to connect with you um, after this service. And also, if you are joining us newly online as well, we are very, really, ha- we are really, really happy to have you. Okay, so we've been doing a series in the book of Jonah. The book of Jonah, you know that book where you learnt about the fish. I got my first nickname from Jonah. I was. My dad used to call me Jonah because, as usual, I used to sleep a lot. That's that was it. And then after that, it was about the fish, you know. So one gene is it big fish, small fish, whale. It can't be mummy water, you know. So there are different things. And that's usually where we stop with Jonah. But we want to look at Jonah well. And what we see with Jonah is that more than anything, Jonah shows us about God, who God is, the outrageous grace of God. And so this is the fourth sermon in that series. So we want to get into that, but let's ask for God's help first. So please join me in praying. Lord, we ask that you order our steps, order our steps. Order um, this preaching, O Lord, of your word. I pray, Lord, that you'd only grant that the truth of your word will fall. Let it fall down on our hearts. Let it inspire us. Let it change us. Let it, Lord God, move us to doing more of your will. We ask all of this through Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen. Amen. Now, I should have said happy 60th birthday to us, right? Happy birthday, Nigeria. I know some of us are going to uh, will be almost cynical about it and like, well, whatever, you know. But honestly, there is something to celebrate. Uh, and I see there are a couple of patriotic ones uh, among us. Ojodala is there in his green. Guerra is there in our green. Uh, my good brother here is also here in his green. I'm sure they didn't think about that when they were coming. But don't worry, you are the patriotic ones. All the others here that are, and I don't know whether you are wearing green as you are sitting down on your couch. All the others that are not wearing green, well, no, nah, I won't say it. I was about to say shame on you, but I won't have said I won't say that. But, you know, honestly, we can't talk about the issues that are in this country, and believe me, there are issues. There are issues in this country. We can't, you know, gloss over them. Um, but at the same time, look, it's not, we're not a failed state. 
Um, I, I think of some countries around the world right now whose, you know, they'll make your heart break. Yemen is a, it's, it's close to a failed state. Syria is close to a failed state. And with all our problems, we are not. And I think it's because God has been keeping us together. And also some of us have good testimonies of the things we've been able to do in this country. Right? It's not every business that is dying. It's not every, it's not, it's not all children that are on the streets. And so God has been good to us while we look to him for <laughs> a, a huge improvement. And, you know, thinking about Nigeria, one of the things that has challenged us from our inception, from the amalgamation up onto our independence till today, is this question, how can such an ethnically diverse group of people dwell together in unity? How? Now, that question seems like just a unity question. But if you dig deeper, you find out it's an identity question as well. What do I mean? All right, let's try this. I tried this in the first service. It didn't work out as well, but I'll try. How many Igbo people here? Igbo Kwenu, anyone? Yeah, Igbo Kwenu there. What's your name? Nena. 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 Anybody else? No, no. You see, I, I don't understand. Ben, you are not Igbo. All right, why don't we, this is a problem. I'm sure, I know we have more Igbo people in this church. I know, so Nena, I'm sorry. You're the lone one. All right, other, you're, okay, Yoruba people. You're out here, Yoruba people. Now, let me ask a question. Nena and maybe Biola there, who is, uh, I'm sorry, I said Biola. Um, uh, Biola is her surname, I can't remember. Bemi. Bemi. What? Yes, you. <laughs> All right, so Bemi is there, Nena is here, uh, and you are home. How would you identify yourself? Would you say I am an Igbo person who is Nigerian, or would you say I'm Nigerian that happens to be Igbo? And the same thing, Igbo and Yoruba that happens to be Nigerian, or Nigerian that happens to be Igbo? If, if you identify with ethnicity first, hands up. So you are first a, an Idoma man. Tive man. Sorry, I know it's an insult to say Igbo, Idoma. You are first a Yoruba man, right? Before you're a Nigerian. How many of us think we are Nigerians first before we are? Okay, interesting, interesting. Now, when people look at those two different statements, they would say something like this. Those who chose their ethnicity first, they are sacrificing the broader to um, emphasize the narrower. That is, the narrower their ethnicity, the broader their nationality. And so they'll say, you are not... You're part of the problem, quite frankly, why we are not living in the community of Nigeria, right? Whereas the other people, those of you who identify with your nationality first, when you go for your village meeting, they will say you are part of the reason why we can't take pride in our ethnicity because you are sacrificing the narrower, that is ethnicity, for the sake of the, the, the broader, that is the nationality. And this is partly why we are divided in this country because we are not even sure how we fundamentally identify ourselves. We are divided on how we fundamentally identify ourselves. There's always a tussle between what is broader and what is narrower. Now, for we as a church, thank you for the people that are coming in for the first time, or maybe you've not been here in a while because we want to encourage you to please be part of us in this church. But I want to tell you something about this church and any other church you can consider. This is an issue. In this church, we prize trying to uh, build strong individuals. But at the same time, we also prize building a strong community. 
And so the question, the tension is, how do we band together in community in a way that does not threaten our individuality? But in the other sense, how is it that our individual expression itself does not cause our community to fragment? Let me put it in a simpler way. Do you have to choose between you and us? Is there really a you in us? You see, Jonah and the people on the boat, were, they had formed a little bit of a community. And I'll explain that a little bit more in my first point. But they formed a little bit of a community. And everything was fine and dandy until crisis hits. And once the crisis hit, all of a sudden, identity became an issue. You see, the storm crisis led to an identity crisis, and that brought a tension between their individuality and the community. All of a sudden, unity was threatened because of a difference in identity. And so the question again comes, with this tussle in the you and us, is it possible for us to truly be united and express our individuality in the church? Do we have to choose between you and us? Now, at the end of this sermon, I am hoping that you will see this, that despite the tensions that are there, if we define our identity in Christ, you will find that we'll be able to flourish, flourish in our individuality through community. In fact, if you define your identity in Christ, you will truly be able to see that there is a you in us. You know, not just grammatically, because you, in, you, you get what I mean, right? So the title of the sermon is you, The You in Us. And we'll look at it in three points. First one, why we don't get along. Second, how we can get along. And third, why we should get along. Why we don't get along, how we can get along, why we should get along. So let's start with the first one, why we don't get along. Now, in the introduction, I said that they have formed a new community. Because what do you need for a community, a true community, right? First of all, you need more than one person, all right? One person. You also need people in the same space, all right? You need them talking, three, for a, for a considerable piece of, uh, amount of time, four, and they need to be on the same mission, all right? People, same space, talking, time, and mission. Okay. Look at it, Jonah's in, on that boat, right, there are more than, one, more than one person, right, Jonah at least, and sailors, okay, but there are more people there. All right, they're same space, they're in the same boat. They've been talking, because it says in the end of verse 10 that Jonah had even told them that he was running away from the law, right? They were there for, a pit, uh, uh, for a, 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 some piece of time because Joppa to Tarshish is long, and they had a common mission. What's the mission? To get to... So, in other words, there was a small community that had already formed. There's a pseudo community, but yet you have community dynamics. And we find out, even when you read further, it's a diverse community. It's a diverse community, uh, diverse ethnically, but even vocationally. They don't have the same jobs, right? Um, there are sailors there, right? There is also a prophet there, right? To which some of you are saying, there is no, a prophet is not a job. All right, it's not your fault. All right, there's thing that prophets reward. And that's some of you are saying that a pastor, pastor is not a job. You only work on Sundays. That's, I'm more happy with that. So, so they, they, were, they were diverse. 
And you know the good thing about diversity is that we all love diversity. It's nice. Like looking here now, Ijo people, um, Northerners. Um, uh, it's not, you see, if I say Northerners now, so why do you say Ijo? Why don't you say Southerners? When it comes to Northerners, because you know I've learned if I say Hausa now, everybody will be angry. All right, but Northerners, we have Yoruba people. We have uh, people from, is there somebody from Benin here? Or somebody from Edo State, uh, right? Yeah, Edo State people, right? So we have all of that. Also, we have people from Ilori as well, right? Yeah, no, but yeah, yeah, Ilori people in the house, right? So we have diverse group of people, and there's one, it's wonderful when we are. You know, different walks of life, different backgrounds. Everything is nice with Diversity. When you go to a store, you see the different kinds of conflicts. You see the different kinds of, uh, I don't know what, what else, biscuits, all of that. We love diversity until calamity hits. All of a sudden, diversity turns into division. You see, on the boat, everyone, it was fine. Everything was great until, as they say in verse 7, they went to find out who is responsible for this calamity. Lots were cast. They found out it was Jonah. And then they started to ask him certain questions. They asked him four questions, but it's really showing three identity markers in how we usually will identify people. So there were point one of the three identity markers. It was place, it was a social group, and it was purpose. Place, social group, and purpose. So notice what they asked Jonah. Place, where do you come from? What is your country? Social group. From what people are you? Purpose, what kind of work do you do? That's how we normally identify people. Now, we don't identify people like that in the same order. Think about in my grandparents' generation, they prided place more than anything. You remember attending your grandfather's burial? Was it in Lagos? No, it was back in the place. Hometown was sacred. In fact, when they were going to build houses, the first place they built a house was where? In the village, because they prided place. My parents' generation, they prided the social group. It was family because in their time, the nuclear family exploded. And so everything was about the family. Everything was, you know, loyalty to the family. Some people are still trying to break, <laughs> are trying to get out of the family in some ways. That's why in their time, you know, two and three bedroom houses exploded. In our own time, right now, um, we actually value purpose more. We don't care that much about um, uh, f uh, family. In fact, a lot of you guys here, as I said, in our parents' generation, we had one family in three-bedroom houses, right? A lot of you here are sharing a three-bedroom house with somebody else. Am I lying? Right? Because what matters to you most is your work, is your job. This is how we identify people. But please don't make mistake. Remember I said they were in a calamitous situation. When they asked Jonah these questions, they weren't trying to find out his upbringing, his background, all of those things. They were asking that question to identify him in a way to understand how the difference that Jonah had between him and them was responsible for the calamity that had just come up. In other words, they wanted to other Jonah. Notice what I said. That when they were asking Jonah those questions, they were trying to identify the difference Jonah had, the difference between them and Jonah to understand why that was responsible for the calamity that had caused them. That is what we call othering. It's at that point you start saying those people. 
You know, as we are different ethnically, vocationally, socioeconomically, generationally, when sometimes we enter into quarrels, how are we going to be divided? The moment we start saying, you know, first of all, because of all these different backgrounds and all of these things, you know we have different worldviews. Our view of what respect is may be different based on our ethnic differences or our generational differences. Our view of what privacy is or what intrusion is, our view of what laziness is or what caring is, all of these things differ. Now, in the place where there are clashes of those differences, here is how we should not respond. Is it not because it's an Ijebu man? Ijebus are always like that. Very stingy. How many of you have said that? How many of you have the boldness to raise up your hand if you've thought about that? Ijebu people are, you are not meant to raise up your hand. Actually, that was a threat, a veiled threat. But I've marked all of you that said that. All right. Or, or sometimes you'll be like, men. It's not men. Men, that's the way they are. That's just the way they are. You see somebody park. I'm sure, uh, bad parking. I'm sure it is a... I didn't say it to, even women said it themselves. <laughs> All right, so maybe there's something. We, I, we categorize based on these differences with other people. Once a calamity has come, we want to find out how this thing came, but we want to find out how the differences in the other person is responsible for it. Now, don't, make, don't, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I am not saying that we cannot categorize sometimes. We cannot find our commonalities in people. In fact, there's a difference between stereotyping and generalizing. Generalizing is okay. Many times generalizing happens, generalizing happens when we identify commonality in people for a positive or a neutral reason. For a positive or neutral reason. So if we say, for instance, that women tend to be I know some people won't like this, but I'll say it anyway. Women tend to be more nurturing. We are not saying all women are nurturing. Do you understand? A generalization will not capture it. We're not saying all women are nurturing. We're saying but they, most women, women tend to be more nurturing. It happens. There's something correlated between, between that and the fact that they give birth and all of those things. Now, to say that a woman is nurturing, is, not a, is it a bad thing? No. So we're not trying to stereotype in that regard. But when you say, hmm, I don't remember what example I gave in the first, in the first service. But when we say, um, Igbo people like money too much. Or put it this way, Igbo people are, are usually fraudsters. 419 people. Ah, is it not Igbo, you know? When we say that, that is problematic. You are stereotyping. Yes, you have seen some Hebrew people that have done that. But now you are casting this entire group. You are stereotyping them because stereotypes always deal with negatives. Do you understand that? You categorize for the sake of identifying them in a ne negative way. Guys, this thing is dangerous. This is the source of racism. This is the source of, uh, of sexism. This is the source of elitism. You know, the, uh, all uh, poor people, don't, they are very lazy. Or uh, 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 um, let me see, black people, black people just can't think properly. Sometimes we do it to ourselves. Black people always cheat people. We are very corrupt. Once you other people, you separate yourself from them. You start attributing the problems to them. And this immediately starts to disintegrate community because there's one more thing that's insidious about this. Anytime we other people, we're othering them from ourselves. What I mean by that is this. 
we become, we and our group become the reference point of the good. So when they are other from us, it is them that are always wrong and we are always right. And once that happens, you are unable to ever see any fault within you and your group. You are always, you are never able to see anything right in the people that you have othered and their own group. How do you think we can be united with that? And so when they're asking these questions, this is what is happening. All of a sudden, the community there is being fragmented. There's one more thing, though. If you have been the victim of othering, please don't respond the way Jonah did. Because what these guys didn't understand as they were all othering Jonah was that Jonah had a PhD in othering people. Notice how Jonah responds when they ask him those questions. What was the last question they asked Jonah? Can you see it? What people, so that belonged to the social group thing. That was the last question they asked Jonah. When Jonah answered and identified himself, what was his first response? I am a what? Which question was he answering? The last question. You know why? Because I am a Hebrew meant more to him than I am a worshiper of God. You see, Jonah was a worshiper of God, it is true, but he answered with the one that most, he was most passionate about. There are many of us who, look, you have been coming to church all your life. You are a Christian, you put um, uh, verses on your Twitter feed, on your Facebook, whatever. You know, you take pictures uh, with somebody else's car and you put some kind of, you know, verse or scripture there. You know why? We know you. See, all the people that, they already, it's already, guilt has already caught you. No problem. All right? So we have been Christians. Everybody knows that we are Christians. You come to church, all of those things, but you are more passionate than some, about something else than God. When you are introducing yourself in your mind or with your actions, it is I am this and a worshiper of the Lord. And the problem with this is that that starts to divide Christian community. You see, the ident what you most fundamentally identify with outside of God divides the community of God's people. Again, it's not that we are not worshippers of God. We are, but something else matters more. For some of us, it's autonomy and freedom. We're Christians, but autonomy and freedom. So the thought of somebody telling you how to spend your money, which really isn't your money, is the money that God gave you and meant to be a steward. But the fact that somebody is telling you, you should give a percentage of this every time, like, wait, 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 wait. Now you are stepping too far. Why? Because you value your autonomy and your freedom above what God says. Or how you should use your body sexually. It's like, ah, now, wow. This is the problem I have with church. Hey, wait, what did God say? You are more passionate about autonomy and freedom. For some of us, it's our political ideology. For some of us, it is our activism. You see, when we put all of these things ahead of God, when we are more passionate about that, then you will not be able to be truly united with God's people. I am a Hebrew and a worshiper of God. When you identify with something more than God, it will inevitably destroy the community and unity of God's people. Amen? Amen. Question then becomes, if that's the main reason why we don't get along, then how can we get along? We must now, the second point, how can we get along? We must return to rooting ourselves in the true God. You see, when the Katakata burst on the, on the 
um, on the boat. What immediately happened? They called, verse 5, we didn't read it today, but verse 5, they said, they called on their gods. At this point, you knew that they were fundamentally uh, divided. They were united in some sense, right? They're in the same community. But the fact that they were calling on other gods, why do I say that you can see that they were fundamentally divided there? I mean, at least they were united in the fact that they wanted this, uh, this calamity to go away. Why? It's because our identity is most defined, not by our ethnicity, not by our vocation, not by our family, as important as all of these things are, not by our gender. Our identity is most defined by what we worship. And you may be saying, worship, but I'm not into organized religion. I don't worship. Well, what you worship is the thing that mostly demands your time and gets most your deepest devotion. What is the thing that mostly demands your time and gets your devotion? Is it your comfort? Are some of you not able to make it to church today because of your comfort? Put it away. This is the chosen group, by the way. You guys did it. No, you are not, because you couldn't come for 7.25 a.m. service. You guys are the lazy, lazy chosen group. The one, the one uh, that came in 7.25, we call them the army. You know, if anything should happen, I can count on those guys spiritually. You guys are sort of the ones that are at the back, and no problem. You guys are home. You are, the, you are the ones that are praying for the people that go ahead. I'm playing, I'm playing, I'm playing. But we all do worship. The issue, is not whether, the issue is not whether I worship it is who we worship. And can I ask you, is it, as Jonah identified the God he worshipped, is it the God who made the sea and the dry land? It's not whether we worship. It is whether we worship the God who made the sea and the dry land. And when Jonah identified God in that way, he's taking you back to Genesis chapter 1, the creation story. In verse 9 to 10, it says that when God did what? When he separated the waters, right? He said, let the sky be gathered to one place and let dry ground appear. And it was so. God called the dry ground land and he gathered the waters he called, and the gathered waters he called seas. So that's the creation narrative about the sea and dry land. But if you go to verse 27 of that Genesis chapter 1, you'll see a stunning thing. It says there that God created humans in his image. Ah, image. Image. How many of us know image? Okay, let me put it another way. Um, how many of us have seen our image today? Because you are all not raising your hand. You've seen your, uh, maybe I'll start identifying. Yeah, for me, I think you should have. Pelumi, you should have. <laughs> Victoria has. Nena definitely would have. Kemi would have. Um, uh, Rachel would have. Bumi, I knew you, you didn't raise up your hand, then you have, I know you have. Now, it's not Gloria to us, has, I'm sure. I'm not stereotyping, you know. It's not like I'm just choosing one gender or something. All right? Um, remember, stereotyping is not, it's not for now. It's a bad thing for you to check your image, right? Now, when you check your image, Gloria, when you check your image, when you check the image, right, in that thing that you used to check your image, at that object of vanity that you used to check your image, um, notice you did not see Timidale's reflection, did you? What we, what we see in an image, who, who was in the image? You? Are you sure it was you? Are you sure it was you that was in the image? Yeah, okay, is your image you? Mmm, deep. <laughs> deep. Our image is not really us, but our image reflects us. 
In other words, your image cannot exist without you. Do you understand me? An image cannot exist without you. However, your image can be identified by you. It cannot exist without you, but it needs you to identify it. When I look in the mirror, I see Femi's image. When Lighton looks in the mirror, he sees Lighton's image. In other words, the image cannot exist without Lighton, but it needs Lighton to identify him. Do you understand? When we are created in the image of God, we need God to identify us. We cannot exist, we cannot talk about our identity without talking about the one in whose image we are created. Do you understand that? And so a lot of the problems, why we are then divided, why we cannot form community is because we look to other things to define us, but yet we are not created in those things' image. And therefore we can't be truly united. Listen, there are attempts to unite us with a lot of abstracts. Look at Nigeria. It's so, the biggest problem we have is an inability to fully define who we are, Ident uh, fundamentally, right? So we use things like one national anthem, one national pledge, right? Where one national, I don't know, one, we don't have one national food. One national language, pidgin. We, even, but most of us can't even speak pidgin. And some of you attempt to speak pidgin, and it's an insult to people that speak pidgin. Just stop it. All right? We use all these abstracts. We use one thing to be able to bring the diverse people together. And that's why when Paul is then looking at the church, he also identifies some abstract things. But notice what I'm saying. I'm saying without our understanding of identity in God, when we look to all these abstract things, they are not good enough to be able to bring us together. So when Paul then looks at the church in Ephesians chapter 4, he sees some other abstracts. He says that you have one faith. He says that you have one hope. He says that you have one calling. He says that you have uh, one baptism. These are all abstracts. They are good, but we are one body because we worship one God. Those things will only matter unless we root it in the one God. That is how we can be united. Now, but you then say, okay, but all of this is communities, communities, unity, and all that. This is uniformity. I can't express my individuality. And I want to say, no, don't mistake unity and uniformity. They are not the same thing. Uniformity tries to extinguish our individuality for the sake of community. But unity, it, it, it sees the fact, and it acknowledges the fact that we are diverse, and yet it tries to bring that diversity together in unity under God. Let me explain. Because when Paul says, one God, one baptism, one faith, all of those things, he's saying one, 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 and then notice what he then says in verse 7. Absolutely stunning. But to each one, notice we are one body, but then he talks about each one of us. God has given grace as Christ has apportioned it. Amen. It is when we come together in God's own kind of unity that we are able to express our diversity. This one body under one God enables us to then be able to express the different graces that God has given each individual. It is one body, but there is also the each other. Because we are under one God. Maybe I should use football to explain it. 
Um, I know Manchester United have not played. I think they are playing today, but they will lose in Jesus' name. Um, I'm sorry, okay. Somebody said, I would, I would eliminate Manchester United. I like Manchester United people. I do. I don't like the club. All right, I like you. All right. Now, but okay, let's forget Manchester United. Whenever we think of Lionel Messi, right? We think individual skills, wonderful things, but you cannot think about Lionel Messi and not think about FC Barcelona. You cannot think about Cristiano Ronaldo and not think about Juventus, not think about Real Madrid. None of you should mention Manchester United. <laughs> In other words, we don't talk first and foremost about individual players. We have to identify that those players usually, when they're in a club, they play for one club, they play for one badge, they play for one team, they play for one manager with one goal. We first talk about their expression of unity, and it's on account of that that you cannot talk about he's a left back. He's a great midfielder. He's a great goalkeeper. He's a great striker. Do you understand it? The unity does not actually extinguish the individuality. It gives the individuality and a platform to be able to express itself. And how much more those who are defined by one God, not just any abstract. But I have to say this. Back to Ephesians for where we are spending some time. I have to say this. In order to keep that unity... It requires work, as what Paul says in Ephesians 2, uh, 4, verse 3. Right? He says, I like the King James. Okay, it's not helping. All right, it says in Ephesians 4, verse 2 to 3, it says that, in verse 3, it says, make every effort. Make every what? Effort to keep the unity. Unity requires effort. You know why? Because we are not perfect. It requires effort because we are not the same. Unity requires what? Effort. Say unity requires effort. Now, how, what, where we should direct our effort, and Paul tells us with four things I want to summarize in two. He tells us four things I want to summarize in two. It requires repentance and restoration. Repentance and restoration. Let's start with repentance. Notice in verse two, he says that you should be completely humble. The first, the prerequisite for humility. You know what I mean? You know what I mean by prerequisite, right? You know that, that course that you carried over. Uh-huh. You, can't, you couldn't do the other course because you did not do well. I'm saying, Madi, you didn't do well in the prerequisite, right? For me to be able to do this one, I need to be able to pass that one. The prerequisite for humility is what? Self-awareness. The problem why a lot of people are not humble is because they are not self-aware. You know how they say about humility? They say, ah, let me, um, humility, let me tell you how I attained humility, five steps. Once somebody says that, you know it's normal. How I attain humility. It's not self-aware. And when I mean self-awareness, most especially is not your gifts, it is actually your weaknesses. A humble person is aware of their weaknesses, their failures, their faults, their sins. If you don't have that, you cannot work for unity. Because you will always be defending yourself and you'll be pointing out the problems in other things. The opposite of humility is that you always be seeing somebody else's fault, never yours. You can never be united. Amen? Amen. So what are you going to admit? What are you going to admit? Admit, if you have been a member of the, of the community, admit the idols that keep giving you your fundamental identity and stop you from either joining 
So I'm speaking to some of us that have been here for a while and have not fully integrated into the community. They stop you from joining, or maybe you have been integrated in the community, they make you divide the church. Are you going to admit to it? If you are struggling to admit to it, if you are saying, no, 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 it's not me, it's this or that person, part of the problem, humility, lacking. Maybe for some of us, here's the problem. You have defined yourself by hurts that you have experienced in church. There are some of us that refuse. We want to keep that distance because you don't know what I have gone through in church. Believe me, I don't. And I'm so sorry that you've gone through that. I know people that have been hurt by the church. I've experienced my own fair bit of hurt by the church. It's really, really difficult. But the absence or the, 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 the presence of the counterfeit only seeks to tell us that there is the real thing. Don't stay away. Don't try to love Jesus and not love his bride. If you come to meet me and you tell me you want to be my friend, but you don't like my wife, oh my God, it wouldn't even last any, don't, don't come and meet me. Why? My wife is not perfect. But if you're going to get along with me, ah, if you really want to get along with me, just love my wife. That's the best thing. Jesus' wife is not perfect. Jesus' wife is not perfect. But don't run away from his wife because that shows that you love him. So you have to admit. Now, I know it takes a while. Jonah does not immediately admit. But even stubborn Jonah, by the time you get to verse 12, B, what does he say? He said, I know that it is my fault that this community is suffering, that this great storm has come upon you. What contribution have you made? How are you identifying yourself? What is it you are most passionate about, which may be a good thing, but you have turned it into an ultimate thing that is now dividing you? Admit it. But then, the second thing is restoration. You see, when you admit, you are saying, this is the problem, and this is how I have contributed to the problem. That's not where we are going. Where we are going is restoration of unity. And so that's why he then gives us these three other things. He gives us gentleness, patience, and love. Gentleness and patience, please, just like repentance takes enormous strength. Some people say that, oh, I don't admit my fault because that's for weak people. That's a very, 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 very brittle person because the person cannot come to terms with who they are. It takes strength to be humble. It also takes enormous strength to be, um, uh, to be, to be gentle and to be patient. Because what do they do? They show the gentleness and the patience, they enable self-restraint from retaliation to provocation. People, there are people that get under my skin, I will not lie. Church people. Yes, I imagine. Some of you. And I know that I get under some of your skins. I have a PhD in it. <laughs> gentleness and patience. Gentleness is that, enorm that strength that says, this is what happens, but I'm going to treat this person tenderly and kindly. I'm going to try to understand as I show patience with the person. Do you see how much strength that takes? Now, what that does is that it stops things from disintegrating. It stops things from, you know, the person may have done something that's wrong, but when the person brought fire, you did not return fire. And so things did not disintegrate. So it stops things. So the first one is you admit, here's the problem, here's how I'm, I have the problem. The second one is that you stop things from disintegrating. But the third one is love. That one 
check this, love repairs what has been broken and sustains what is good. It repairs what has been broken and sustains what is good. So for some of us, you need to go and apologize to somebody. Mark it now. Some of you know that there are people that you need to repair certain things with. Mark it. Who are you going to do that to? For some of you, I want to stop you now because you're about to cancel somebody. You're about to cancel now. Now me and this person, that's it. Don't do it because God did not cancel you. Show gentleness and show patience. For some of you, we are not gentle and patient with people that, you know some people just irritate you? Just irritate you. Who are you going to now say, God, help me to show gentleness and patience with this person? Think about it. And what actions am I going to do that is going to repair it? But you see, it's not only where there is brokenness. We have to sustain what is good. Let me ask you, some of you, when are you going to join GC? That's what is going to sustain. Like, what is stopping you? You've been coming to church for like two years. Or when are you going to restart? Some of you, you have not been to GC in like eight weeks. Why? Because I'm going through something. Because I just don't feel it. I don't. No. You need to restore. You need to sustain what is good. For some of us, when are we going, are we going to see you next week? Because attendance is a very, very important statement of love. It is, a, it, is, it is a solidarity statement with my body. And so, guys, if we are going to work out this unity, I'm saying, yes, you are going to fight things in you that naturally would not want you to do those things. Exactly. That's where God supplies the strength. Because unity takes effort. Amen? Amen. Now, finally, some is going, somebody is saying, why should I even make it? I get you have shown us how we do, why is it that we don't get along? Now you've shown us how, how we should get along. Question is why? Why should I make this effort? Third point. Why should I make this effort? Why shouldn't I actually identify with my, my ethnicity first? Before uh, this thing. Why shouldn't, look, see, let's be realistic. All of those ones, now it's just, we're just talking Bible, something. You like the Bible, but, okay, but let's just be real. Right? As a lawyer like this, as a lawyer like this, I can't be talking with engineers because they don't understand English. We, we are the ones that you, we, we reinvent English. As an entertainer, as an entertainer, I can't be talking to people that work in church because you people in church don't like fun. I give people fun for a living. You take people's fun away for a living. So how is it that two of us are going to come together? It can't work. Let's be honest. Let's come together. Let's sing together, right? Rachel will lead us. Bumi will lead us. Fantastic. We sang together. We are united. But when we have to not sing again, I'm going to meet my fellow entertainer. You go and stick with your church people. Because the wahala is too much. Let's extend it beyond the church. Let's even talk about why make reconciliatory efforts. Let us be quite honest that humanity's division is so deep. It is just easier to hang with people that are like us. Because the truth is we can never achieve peace with one another. That's my view. That's your view. We can never achieve peace with one another. To which I would say, in the words of the slogan that brought Barack Obama to power, yes, we can't. 
We can't achieve it. Let us try to work peace and do all of these kinds of things. We can't by ourselves achieve peace. You know why? Peace has to be given to us. Honestly, people have tried. Smart people have tried. I have a friend whose father was, uh, was the chief negotiator um, when, when um, the apartheid government was coming down. He was the chief negotiator for the African side, the white people. Right? Experts. Consulted even in Northern Ireland there. Can people smarter than you have been working at peace negotiations? Let me tell you, you can't get peace unless peace is given to you. That is the first way. And how does this passage show us? It is how Jonah described God. Not the God who made the heavens and the, uh, the God who made the dry land and the sea, but first he said the God of heaven who made the dry land and the sea. The God of heaven is that key. To which you're like, what? How? I, I thought we were trying to unite people. He's distant now, in heaven. I, I can even help you for that, because I remember when my parents used to travel and leave my sisters and I together. You know what used to happen? Travel or go away. You know what used to happen when they leave my sisters and I? We used to fight. I know our family was not like your own family, <laughs> right? But we, we used to fight. Fight! And the problem was my parents were not around to be able to unite us. So when you say that God, the God of heaven, is the key to the unity, um, excuse me, that God is very distant. How can he be the key to the unity. This God of heaven, it makes no sense. How is he able to give us peace when he is far away from us? To which I want to say, well, you have to, you have misunderstood that God. In fact, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 9 and 10, tell us a little bit more about that God. Let me explain. That God became a human being, and the Bible said before he ascended, he first descended. Jesus Christ is that God who he is the God of heaven because he said Jesus Christ ascended. No problem there. But before Jesus ascended, he said he descended. It is not a God who is distant. It's a God that is always coming towards us. He descended. Jesus Christ came to meet us. And he said, oh, I get why he descended. I get why he descended. He, des he descended to come and unite us, Abby. Did he give us a peace treaty? Maybe Jesus Christ brought the people, the Jews and the Gentiles, sat them down together and said, what is your own problem? What is your own problem? All right, I can help you. Maybe Jesus is going to unite us by a peace treaty. Listen, we don't need a peace treaty. We need peace. You say, but, but okay, maybe it's by some kind of peaceful resolution. You know what happened after apartheid came down, Nelson Mandela actually came to power. There were, what they call those things, um, uh, peace, what? Peace, uh, the, 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 the reconciliation committee. Maybe we need a reconciliation committee. We need some peaceful resolutions. That is going to give us peace. He helped them in 1994. He helped them in 1995, 1996, 1997. Look at South Africa today. It is more divided across racial lines than it has ever been. We don't need peaceful resolutions. We need peace. They say, oh, no, no, maybe we need some peaceful committees, right? We have some of those in our House of Rep and House of Senate. Look at the House of Rep and House of Senate. In all, all the places in the world, they are always throwing chairs at one another, guarding the mess. We don't need peaceful committees. What do we need? We need peace. To which you then say, all right, we need peace. But I thought you said that we need the God of heaven, which is Jesus. For all the times that you say we need peace, we need Jesus. But Jesus had this as ascended. I still don't understand that. And I want to say, you know, my parents, maybe they are not around. Maybe they can't unite my sisters and, uh, and I with their presence. But you know what they can do? They can call us on Zoom. 
Because with Zoom, what are they doing? They are able to manifest their presence in another way. Do you understand me? They are able to manifest their same presence, not bodily, but in another way. Why did this Jesus ascend to heaven? In verse 10, he said, he ascended to heaven so that he could fill the entire universe. While he was with his 12, he could unite his 12, but he could not unite those that were in Europe. He could not unite those that were in Asia. He could not unite those that were in Africa. He needed to fill the whole world. And that's why in Acts chapter 2, he says, after he rose from the dead, this Jesus ascended into heaven and he was able to fill the whole universe by pouring forth the Holy Spirit. It is not just a kind of phone call. He is the God of heaven who is present with us because he sent one just like him. He is more than with us in body. He is with us in the entire universe. To which you are still saying, yes, I get that. But how does that give us peace? Because we need peace. It seems like you are, we are saying that we need peace. But God is saying we need Jesus. We need peace. But you are saying we need Jesus. I'm telling you, we need peace. But we are saying we need Jesus. But don't you get the point? Jesus is our peace. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 14. He is our peace who has broken down the wall of partition between one and each other. Don't you understand? The reason why we are divided with one another, as we said, is because we have othered God by sin. Because we have not defined ourselves in God. We've not identified ourselves in God. And so when we don't identify ourselves in the one who created us, we are also going to be divided with one another. We other ourselves because we other God. And what did Jesus Christ do on the cross when he descended? Jesus Christ was othered for our sin so that God can say now I love you so that you can look at each other and say now I love you Jesus took the cross when Jesus went to the cross he laid the foundation for us to stop othering one another but to love one another listen I agree the divisions in humanity are so deep. When you think about the Jews and the Palestinians, you say, how would they ever be united? When you look at the Fulani herdsmen and the Tiv farmers, the Edoma farmers, you say, how would they ever be united? Sometimes you think the only way they can, we can be united in this humanity is by another humanity. You will not be wrong. Because Jesus, he says, he has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. His purpose was to create what? In himself, a new humanity. Listen, friends. The God of heaven, Jesus Christ, is the one who first descended. And the reason he descended was to give us peace between us and God. So that when we, are, when we have peace with ourselves and God, we can then have peace with one another. And doing that, when he rose from the dead and he poured out his spirit, he created a new humanity. How can we work together? Yes, we need to repent and restore. But why do we work together? Because God has united us in Christ. He has reconciled us to himself and therefore to one another. In other words, we are not creating a new unity. We are keeping the unity of the Spirit. We are not creating a new unity. We are working out the unity 
that God has given us. Thank you for listening to the Gospel in Lagos. We pray you've been blessed by this message. To learn more about City Church, visit www.citychurchlagos.com City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos.